This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. My name is Nick. I have read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. And I'm Lance, and I've read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today, we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 10 of the AMC series, titled Dirty Little Secret. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic, and by extension, any future plotlines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 2, Episode 10. So pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also g2tpodcast on Twitter. And you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. A little bit of housekeeping up front here. Last week, we partnered with an app called TV Time, and TV Time helps you track down the shows that you love and react to the moments that move you. I know in today's day and age with all the different streaming services, you got Netflix and Amazon and everybody coming up with their own content, as well as all the network television shows that people like to watch. It can be pretty difficult to keep up with when the shows air or when they return for the season, and TV Time helps you track all of that, and on top of that, You're able to post video reactions or discuss clips or images from the show uh, moments after it airs, and it allows you to discuss the show that you love with other people that love it just as much as you do, which is something that Nick and I have discussed uh, in the past with what our podcast does. It allows people to connect uh, over shows that maybe their real-life friends don't care about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're listening to us from TV Time, thank you for checking us out. We hope that you'll stick around, and we're glad to have you along for the ride. And if you've been listening to us before this and uh, you have not yet checked out TV Time, check it out now. It's on both the iOS and Android stores and see if it's something that you'd like. Uh, they didn't ask us to do that. Uh, I just wanted to give them a little a little um, love here just because they're allowing us to reach a lot more people now. So uh, hopefully if you found us on there, you like us. And hopefully if you've been a fan of us, you like TV Time as well. Go check it out. Uh, but all said and done there, we've got some listener feedback this week. Uh, Mike wrote in, he said, one thing I think you're missing in the Jesse discussion discussion. Do we really know why he's so keen on finding God? There must be a reason why he's got such a hard on for it. No one's really seemed to care. Um, I mean, part, part of it to me, I think we know that Jesse's got demons from his past with his father dying like that kind of always struck me as like a Jesse's main question for God would be why do why do good thing or why do bad things happen to good people like my father is kind of like like for some reason that would be question number one in my mind but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or if there's anything I don't like I don't know if Mike asked this question from a knowing point of like he knows why Jesse wants to find God in the comics or if that's presented very differently in the show already like what do you think about this well in the in the books he wears it on his sleeve like he's very upfront with the fact that you know they the angels kind of when he converses with fior and de blanc and they basically tell him 
God's God's ti- gone. God's tired of humanity. Basically, it's almost like you know when when the flood happened initially with Noah, he was like, "Yeah, oh man is like real bad. Well, I got to start from scratch." Yeah, and then Noah's like, "Well, okay." And then that whole story, we all know how that unfolds. And God made a covenant at the end saying, I'll never do that again. And so now I think it, it's basically in the book, he's like, yeah, I, he can't do that again because he said he wouldn't. So he's just done. He's, he's just quitting. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm done. Like, I'm I'm out. And Jesse's like, God can't quit. Yeah. And the angels, the angels all, they're like, sure he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And Jesse's like, no, no. Yeah. I'm going to find him and I'm going to kick his ass and make him answer. He's going to answer for, he's going to have to explain to us why he thinks it's okay to quit. Basically. Yep. Exactly. And and it's, it's it's your, you started this. You have to see it through. You can't just decide you're not going to deal with it anymore. Yeah. And in the show, I think it's a great question because I carry that with me into the show because like I said, that happens very early in the series if not in the first like three they, issues. I think that kind of comes through in that first season. Like yeah. once we learn that God has abdicated the throne, so to speak, I think it makes sense that Jesse would like Jesse clearly is like, how could you fail these people of Anvil essentially right. is kind of what I got out of that. And that's why he gets set off in this direction. But yeah. And, and it's kind of a, you don't get to walk away quite that easily, but I do think there's, TV Jesse is more, I think he is more genuinely devout in his religious devotion. Yeah. So I think he also feels a a little lost. I think he, I think he is almost of, and I I know I touched on this at the end of season one and several episodes ago in this season where just how it would feel to people in real life, religious, devout, good, honest people, how they would feel if it was like, yeah, God actually left and he doesn't care about you anymore. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing Jesse feeling as well as he feels a little scorned. Maybe like if you spend your life devoted to an ideal and then God just decides, sorry, like didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> and I, in the books he's, he is religious and, and he obviously, uh, believes in God and all that, but he gets more angry than anything. And, yeah. and he almost views God as on his level as like, you don't, you're not necessarily better than us just because you're God. Like you still have to answer to us. He's very kind of democratic about it. <laughs> like God exists because we believe in you and we continue to worship you. Yeah. Kind of the, if God made us in his own image, then maybe he needs to answer the he same needs questions. An ass that, yeah. Creation, yeah. yeah. So uh, Lance, did you have any thoughts on why TV Jesse might be doing this? Um, or was it was it, I mean, I, first of all, Nick took all the words out of my mouth. That was that was great. <laughs> That's what I do. That was awesome. Just reel them out. You got it, man. So yeah, I mean, everything that Nick said was was true about book Jesse. Lance just throws his voice every week. <laughs> He's doing it right now. I'm not real. It's a fantastic. Nick, Nick's uh, not real. Yeah. Vent- ventriloquist. Yeah, there. it's spectacular. But uh, like you said, I mean, I think you just have to. I mean, that did it for you. Was Jesse losing his father? Like yeah. that. That like that was enough. Like. Like to question why, why if God exists, why does He let this happen? I think He certainly has those personal motivations. Do you, do you, is that not really necessarily there in the comics? I mean, I seeing that I don't really know all the answers to what happened with Jesse's father, although I have some suspicions at this point in time. Is that does that come up in that confrontation? Like I I don't know. I get I don't want to. Hmm. Maybe I'll reel it back from there. <laughs> I think there's reasons for Jesse to do it, and I and I, but I don't. Uh, I think there's personal it. reasons along with the 
what what's the word I'm looking for here? The motivation, the justice, just, ju- oh, just yeah. judiciary reason. I don't I don't know what the what the thing, but the 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 bigger machination of God can't abdicate his. It's throne. just not right. fair. Yeah, yeah. So that that's like I think I think it's TV Jesse is two sided in that. Yeah. I think it's there, but yeah. he's it's not like he he's, states it too in last week's episode where he's like there has to be some kind of order. Can't just you know someone at the wheel when we hit the rocks. Is yeah, what he says you know. So yeah, that's he, true. He feels like if you know that this is your job. Yeah, this is your job, God, and you you just can't quit. Just like just like Nick said, you can't quit. So and maybe maybe Mike's question might be kind of a why aren't Tulip and 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 uh, and Cassidy questioning it more? But I think Cassidy obviously did a little bit, and I think Tulip just kind of thinks it's like, well, all right, that's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> but and incidentally, it was a really good impression of how she would sound. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next thing from Mike, he said, I know, Alex, you don't have another frame of reference, but Nick, Lance, and myself, we know the whole story arc and where these characters end up. For example, I mentioned Star being a raging psycho and being so frustrated. Uh, he said, I'm pretty sure he didn't start out that way. In fact, our current Star is probably pretty close to our first introduction to him. I think this is a comment on maybe being a little bit frustrated with where the characters are in the show as opposed to where they actually end up in the comics and what you guys kind of remember last. Do you think that could be playing into your your thoughts about the characters as well? Like maybe the maybe their origins or initial starting points in the comic are something that you don't see as much or you don't remember as much anymore because you've experienced the whole arc of the story. So essentially are we just forgetting where they started, where they came from? Yeah, and, and or yeah, like just kind of the the obviously these characters in, in a good story, the characters are going to go through some kind of arc and transformation, right. and maybe maybe some of the tensions of of people not quite being what you want them to be or what you expect them to be means that they were there earlier in the comics, but they've changed over time. I think that's more the thing they. Because Jesse and Cass, they don't change a lot in the comic. They don't no. really have... And even Tulip really doesn't so much. I think it's not so much that these three main characters undergo some title change, but we just learn more about them. Yeah. yeah. So it's not so much that they have traditional satisfying arcs, but that they, we just see a little bit more behind the curtain, and then they are just contextualized differently. They unfold. Which, yeah, yeah, which I think is really awesome and really interesting. Yeah. Obviously, we, I think a lot of times we crave development and, and arcs. Mm. And I think with TV especially, uh, we kind of crave that as a people. And I think that we can unconsciously feel when a character has flatlined. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I recall, or I do recall, this is a fact, in, uh, <laughs> in season one of the Insider podcast, uh, Seth Rogen talks about how when you read a comic book, you, as a comic book fan, you have already basically signed the giant waiver saying like, I suspend my disbelief faster than other people (laughs) because you're willing to, to read these kind of comic stories. And that's why it is a little funny when, you know, people nitpick things like, Oh, how did the bad guy do this? You're like, yeah, how about he's the Hulk? And he (laughs) is a huge green man. And you know, it's funny when people, choose where and when to suspend their disbelief. But he, he kind of said with Preacher, 
you have to be more careful with TV being to ease people in because yeah. the average AMC watcher is not going to just suddenly, they're not going to be able to get on board if, if pilot episode of Preacher is the first issue of the comic. Mm-hmm. I think that's very astute. I disagree to a, to a degree. I think if it was done well, people would get on board because I think as much as the average person may not be able to suspend a disbelief, I think the average person, person is also very bored with a lot of movies and TV. There's a reason the box office at the end of this August is at like a record low. Yeah. Because people are bored. Yep. And if you give them something interesting, they may latch onto it. And I think that that's the reason Preacher does still have life. And obviously, it's a good thing that this show is not in my hands and is in... Because <laughs> these guys are, have more patience than me and more vision. But to answer the initial question, I think that we... These kind of arcs can can go longer and can be bigger in TV, and I think they they kind of have to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you know, I'm always kind of lamenting the fact that we don't have comic accurate Jesse. Yeah. Because yeah. he's so much fun to watch, but he would not be as satisfying as a, of a character. Well, and I think Mike specifically brings up Star, and the thing is, is that I think both of you guys are pretty happy with this adaptation of Star, but yeah. you kind of qualified the thoughts of like it's not necessarily comic book star but it's a great adaptation of star is some of that maybe coming out of a maybe he has a journey to go on for the rest of the show to get him to a place where mm-hmm. he could be more comic yeah, book star yeah we did kind of say that we might yeah. see him devolve a little bit into just like yeah. more slapstick not slapstick but just you put it you talked about it last week Lance and I'm trying to remember how you put it um i don't know he's just uh he might turn into just like this demented, deviant kind of guy. He just gets like yeah. Yosemite Sam angry sometimes. Yeah. And he just Car- turns caricature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He turns yeah. into like, he just, yeah, because I, I can't even, other than the motion of doing with my arms right now, it's the only way I can describe it. He just gets like, <laughs> worked up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's so, it's so hilarious to watch someone who should be able to snap, on paper, can snap their fingers and have somebody snuffed out of existence. And yet he just can't quite seem to win yeah it's very you know much like dick dastardly from you know the old hanna-barbera wacky races kind of thing it just can't can't come out ahead yeah and even though they should be able to yeah and if he does go that way because he seems so with it and so collected and cool and awesome in the show i'm i'm all for him staying that way like it's he's a riot to watch as is but if he does kind of you know Go down the slope. Become more of a caricature. Yeah. And, yeah. It could also yeah. be fun. Or it might it might get too it might be too much. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I mean yeah. I'm thinking of um why I'm thinking of this, I don't know, but Dana Carvey as President Bush from SNL, <laughs> where he started out as like just like kind of like more accurate uh interpretation, but then all of a sudden he was like and then like but that's like where that character needed to go. Yeah. So uh, maybe star. Well, it's like that's like the the finding. They start dialing in those impressions, and they find the key moments in like the real life mm-hmm. person to make fun of that makes that that impression work really well. Yeah. And in the same way, I think I think hair star like it happens in all kinds of TV shows where people the writers get used to characters and they find the things that work and they find the right way to pinch and pull at what the little moments yeah. are so that could totally happen that's a great that's a brilliant point lance yeah. that's yeah. why you're on the show well, well yeah dana carter was like, like, like that. president bush never said not gonna die <laughs> <laughs> not gonna die but like you 
think of that when you think of President Bush. It's, so, yeah, it's the whole yeah. it's the whole Sarah yeah. Palin uh, Tina Fey uh, thing. This so. is H uh, W Bush for the H. W. for yes. the youths out there yes. who don't recall or even know who Dana Carvey is. Yes, mm-hmm. we'll see it. Me- in- oh, Will Correction Department. <laughs> Will Ferrell played George W. Bush. <laughs> Please write in and say that. Uh, that's that's so true though because with I think with a great joke and a great bit and i think something that's missing from a lot of snl today is like it doesn't go anywhere and you need to you can't necessarily start right in your face with it you need to kind of build to it or start small and grow and i always one of my favorite snl sketches ever and it's funny because i thought of it as soon as he was mentioned dana carvey and started making this point at the same time so yeah thank you um (laughs) when he did tom brokaw okay and they showed uh I think that they were basically like in, do you guys have any idea what I'm, what I'm I, talking about? No, I'm not I don't sure about this. this at all. Yeah. He's, I, they started uh, recording. I think either Tom Brokaw was going on vacation in the sketch or they were concerned Tom Brokaw was going to die before he could finish reading all of, <laughs> all of the news. So they are in the studio. His Tom Brokaw impression is amazing, by the way. They, they start recording potential stories in advance in case Tom Brokaw's not available. It sounds fantastic. And so the, the one they start with, like, okay, Tom, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And his impression is so good. I, I'm not even going to attempt to do it. But so they, they roll the prompter and they put up the graphic and he says, it's Gerald Ford died today. And he's like, Gerald Ford died today at the age of 83. He died peacefully at home with his family and the nation will miss him. And they're like, okay, that's great, Tom. Now we'll read the next one. And it's like, Gerald Ford died today at the age of 83 in a plane crash. <laughs> and then it just ramps up and it, it becomes like, Gerald Ford died today by getting eaten by a pack of wolves <laughs> and stuff like that. And he continually goes, I don't know, guys. Do we really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, just read it. And yeah. it just gets sillier and sillier and sillier. But mm-hmm. if you started there, it wouldn't be as funny. You'd yeah. be like, well, what? But you've just got to slow you build, build and get there. Yeah. And it's such good it's such good writing and his performance is so good because he continually gets a little more. He just, uh, it's very, very funny. Nice. Yeah. Uh, now that we've aged ourselves. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, another point from Mike. Uh, he said, am I the only one seeing a motif with the tools in the suitcase, the angels with the coffee can and phonograph, the Japanese soul guy, and now the cleaner? It can't all be a coincidence. I think suitcases are just an interesting way to make people seem more sinister than they might actually be. Sure. Is kind of the case. It's professionals. They, yeah. Professionals, quote unquote. Uh, with suitcases, I think just have a little bit more of uh, what, what do they have in there, or you know, like uh, what could those be for? Like it's a it's a it's a coffee can, but he put the coffee can in a suitcase instead of bringing it with him. Like I don't, it's kind of a delayed. Uh, it's like a time release in terms of like what they are are their tools of the trade, I guess. You know, I wonder so. if it's a kind of a riff on like the idea that government types always have like things in yeah. briefcases or you know i'm surprised you haven't seen dudes with the, the soul guy did have it handcuffed to his arm didn't he when he went into the uh I initial can't meeting recall if he did or i not. thought he did i might be imagining yeah. that yeah or you know i keep thinking of pulp fiction every time i see yeah. somebody with a briefcase yeah. yeah that's i think of that too yeah what's in marcellus wallace's suitcase mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, soul. Mike, Mike had a few points. We talked about, we keep talking about uh, side stories in the show, maybe not being as fruitful, but he wanted to write in. He said, here are a few brief non-spoiler side plots. They go to meet a newspaper reporter and find a serial killer. They go to confront Tulip's past and end up confronting Jesse's. They go to, I forget, and go to an orgy party, which leads to meeting the grail. 
Jesse spends uh, who knows how long in salvation. And they go to meet a friend of Cassidy's in New Orleans and meet somebody else that leads to the saint and more arse face. And then he said, really, the only time that plan goes off, uh, really, the only time a plan goes off as planned is the final storyline. And that goes off the rails, too. None of these take uh, 12 issues. But you see my point. There's no linear plot here. He said, I think Nick is being a little unrealistic. We've got 10 or so how many ever hours it takes time. So the idea that like maybe you guys are able to speed through the comics quickly and you get that driving sense of plot. Like if it really hooks you in like that, as Nick has said several times, the comic will drive at it faster. You're kind of moving at your own pace. Whereas with TV, we're constricted to the here's 13 episodes in a season. And we got to go from here to here in this season. And overall we want to do this many seasons. Like maybe, maybe the, Maybe the 60 issues of uh-huh. Preacher don't translate to 60 hours of television, but there's still like a pacing. It's an adaptation growing pain, I think, you know, mm-hmm. just like the idea that we're taking these side stories right now that don't necessarily seem to go anywhere. But we'll see at the end of the season where things come out on the other side and how things kind of end up. But I just thought it was an interesting point that there's there's obviously side stories in the book, but. Some of them seem to have purpose. Others of them don't. You know. Any thoughts? Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind. This is a this is a tricky area, and this is always going to be the, the the struggle of this show. I think even even when it's done and it's time to rewatch it, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't I love the side stories in the books. I mean, I think that they're they're great and maybe the reason they're a little more satisfying than some of the side stories in this is they're just better. Mm. Like they may, I think that at the end of the day, they may just be more interesting and I'm all for the show taking its own charting its own course through the world. I mean, I think it's pretty well established at this point that I think the first two or three episodes of this season are phenomenal Mm -hmm. and I, I loved where it was going and I thought here's a cool little detour into new Orleans and we're going to kind of, do a little something here, but I think just where it, where the crew ended up going just wasn't that fun to watch. Yeah. And it, while it was not bad and it revealed a little bit more to us about Tulip and Jesse and their relationship before the show, it doesn't seem to have had a huge impact on where they are now in the show. So it feels kind of like I saw all that just to kind of get to know who they were before, but it's not really enhancing where they are now. Yeah. Like it's kind of one of those things where, and we've said this before, I, we didn't need to know. Like you, I think you said this on last week that I said, you said that I said (laughs) that I didn't, I didn't really care what happened after the botched bank robbery. Yeah. You know, I mean in season one, who, who, how boring was homeboy carlos yeah who, who cares <laughs> yeah. yeah file that under who gives a shit <laughs> it's boring and it didn't go anywhere and i was like let's just find a, a a better way to get tulip to explain why tulip is interested in in, in reuniting with jesse mm-hmm. or just make carlos better you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. i don't know i think that this is a thing that i could spend we could all collectively yeah. spend a lot of way too much time talking about and yeah. we probably will in like a season recap episode when we're done and as you said, by then we'll be able to turn around and look over our shoulder and, and say, 
Okay, so how was that? Now that we're now that now we're at the end of it, the we, full we can see the forest. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think that it's just all that stuff in the book is so fresh and exciting and different. And some of the stuff that we've seen in the show, it's a little, it at times feels a little familiar, even if it has that preacher spin. Yeah. And some of the stuff in the last like two or three episodes has felt way more unique, even for, for preacher and for TV. Yeah. We've seen things that are really starting to pop again, yeah. like in season one. I mean, season one was the ultimate deviation from the comic mm-hmm. and I loved it mm-hmm. and it, it did all the right things. So they can do it. They're more than capable of doing it. Yeah. Any thoughts, Lance? No, Lance. No, that's the, Nick, take Nick, take all the thoughts again. Again, <laughs> <laughs> took all the thoughts. Well, see, my my memory of the books is pretty solid, but as we we've, we've seen on the show a couple times, it, it can be a little a little spotty. I think Lance's is actually fresher. I yeah, I I I went through it again, and like things come up again. And plus, you know, like you can you can find summaries online and all that, which kind of refresh your memory. But yeah, I mean, side stories are. Are, are really good in the comic and here I am questioning did we have to spend four episodes of Victor did we have to do a whole season trying to track down Carlos you know like could you have could you have shortened that up and and moved on to something else I mean why why stretch it out so much yeah the maybe the creators of the show they want six seasons and whatever but like like if I don't know did they believe so much in the Victor storyline? I would ask them that. Yeah. I would ask Seth Rogen, Sam Catlin, Evan Goldberg. I would be like, like, did you really have to do that much on this guy? And you were just going to kill him anyway. You were just going to kill him to the Saint of Killers anyway. Yeah. Just so he could like confront Jesse, but like he wasn't really Jesse's opponent. I mean, he kind of, I don't know. I mean, at just, this just point. Just to tell Jesse he's an asshole. Yeah. And, and it had it has no bearing on Jesse today. Exactly. Did Jesse learn anything? It from doesn't it. matter. Yeah. yeah. I think with where we're headed, it was it was a another point of contention or some some uh, just a little bit of grind between Tulip and Jesse because mm-hmm. clearly with what we see in this episode of Featherstone and Hoover's mission to get Jesse alone, essentially to to get him away from his friends as hair stars asking them to do or commanding them to do. It's one of those things that presumably in the next episode or by the end of the season is going to serve to put that friction between the two of them. But I don't know. And I do really love in this episode, especially how much time they spend apart. Like it's nice to not have all three of them, not that, in the apartment. Not, not that they're all always together, but I I've read a few criticisms of some points of this episode that it's too much. It goes by too quickly or there's too much passage of time. And I was kind of like, hell yes. Like, yeah, I really liked that a lot of the forward momentum and yeah. it's cool to have some space between them and they're, and they're dealing with their own problems almost individually. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. neat. All right, and a few points from Bruce really quick. He said, everything with the grail, he's commenting on uh, on the episode from last week. He said, everything with the grail is great, especially Star and his lethal weapon to tarp in his office. He was also <laughs> shocked as hell when they more or less did that scene, quote unquote, with the professionals from the comics. I never quite expected AMC to get that perverse. And then also he said, now that poor Harry Connick Jr. is dead, we might have to start keeping count of what celebrities get killed off in the show. I have a feeling this will be a running thing in each season. Yeah. Tom Cruise season one, Harry Connick Jr. season two, and Mark Harrelick. 
Yeah, uh, can't Hart, forget. Like, brought yeah. up again. Brought up once episode. again. <laughs> yes. By name. Absolutely. <laughs> the only belly laugh that I got on this episode. <laughs> so good. No, that's a great point, Bruce. Thank you for writing in. But thanks, Bruce. On to our recap of episode season two, episode ten, Dirty Little Secret. Uh in the teaser we find out that Jesus had sex with a woman, presumably on or near the night he was uh turned into Pontius Pilate. His apostles knock at the door to find him, and he lies to them about coming to cure the woman. But one of the apostles, I think it's Jude, he's credited as Thaddeus, Mm -hmm. um, recognizes what happened and tells the woman that her secret is safe with him. Uh, So Jesus, played by Tyson Ritter of All-American Rejects fame, also featured heavily in the rest of the episode... And the title of the episode is "Dirty Little Secret." <laughs> wow, what a nice little uh, Easter egg! Right yeah, there. they're kind. They kind of. They kind of. No pun intended. Easter, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Lance. Well done. Um, yeah. So we get to see Jesus in the show. Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys think of the teaser, Lance? Lance, let's go with you first before yeah. Nick yeah. steals all the words. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Pretty cool. I can come up with more. (laughs) Pretty cool. You know, I like how they kind of, um, you know, um, stretched it out. Like, no, like, is it of this time? Is it, is it like two, like, people in the Peace Corps in a tent? Or is it like, (laughs) is it like, you know, taking place a long time ago? Yeah. And, um, and you know, without the Jesus beard, then you don't really recognize Jesus. But yeah, um, I thought it was pretty cool intro it was funny like how he turned into a bro yep i like that a lot um you know and actually they actually said bro like bro i yeah. got this yeah. like, it's, it's <laughs> written in like frat boy language yep. of today so, yeah. so it, yeah pretty funny stuff i'm glad that, i mean it's it's a really clever it's a cool way to to establish this this storyline yeah nick thoughts on the on the times of Jesus, uh, Lance <laughs> took them all. <laughs> no, I I agree. I thought. I mean, I got it immediately yeah. when she started shouting Jesus right off the bat. I started laughing because <laughs> yeah. I was like, "That's Jesus." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's really good." And uh, I did not expect it to go the way that it went. I didn't expect them to lean that heavily into like the silly territory. Yeah, with like all the lingo. Like you guys said, yeah. and just with how uh, like crude it all was, mm-hmm. it, like it was kind of it, I, not graphic, but like where it, it turned into basically like cave paintings. It yeah. was really funny. Yeah. yeah, and I just I didn't expect that. I I knew that they were gonna. I think in l- last week's episode there was a moment where I was like, okay, they're gonna go there. They're gonna have the the Christ Child in it, and I just didn't expect them to spend this much time on the origin. But I yeah. think that it was cool to show. You know, however you approach the notion that Jesus would have sired a kid and this whole secret society would have started is awesome. Yeah. Like when I read that idea in the book, I was like, whoa, what a cool idea and how totally possible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things that you can't, nobody could possibly prove or disprove now. Yeah. And I just think that it was funny and, and cool that they spent some time on it, but it, uh, it was the way to do it, I think, by making it over the top goofy. Very silly, yeah. Yeah, like the bro and the way he was like, it's been real to her before he <laughs> leaves and everything. I was like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. I thought you were in the garden. No, nah, man. Uh, I mean, I was. <laughs> Came here to heal this ailing woman. They're all like, oh, all right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a pretty funny way to, to go about that. But other than that, I don't know that there's too much more to say. So, nah. uh, Act one, Hairstar reveals to Jesse that he ordered the hit on the gang and that the Grail works hand in glove with heaven, uh, that he doesn't know where God is, and that they're the ones who hired Mark Harlick. But he realizes Jesse needs more information and confirmation of what he's saying, so Jesse puts on a hood as they drive away in a car together. Tulip continues to have nightmares about the saint. She wakes up and talks to an otherwise preoccupied Cassidy about where Jesse is, but she can't confide, confide in Cass with about, about what's going on with her. As she goes to make breakfast, Featherstone, disguised as Jenny, knocks on the door to reclaim her gun. She knows Tulip is off when she starts crushing eggs into a bowl and drops it on the floor. She picks it up for Tulip, and Tulip finally breaks down. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, a lot of exposition dump on Jesse here from Hairstar. Um, did you guys? What did you guys think of Jesse clubbing Hairstar over the head with the binder? Is that a comic book? And like, is that an interaction that could have happened? I guess mm-hmm. this isn't. Yeah, so it's something that that you think would be reasonable to see, or that you have seen otherwise. Yeah, yeah, comic book Jesse would do that. My favorite. I've been wanting to say this because my favorite like panel. One of my favorite panels is when. Like you spend this whole comic, you spend this whole issue with Tulip and Cassidy, and at the end they just go, "Where's Jesse?" And then the last panel is Jesse like pulling this bartender by the shirt and being like, "I just asked for directions," <laughs> 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 and it's the funniest because like with a bar behind him that's just totally yeah. like dudes yeah. strewn over tables, beat <laughs> to shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. exactly. Because yeah, Jesse will Jesse will throw it on with anybody anywhere. Well, but what about from the side of Hair Star? Would Hair Star not retaliate? What do you think about that? I think in in this context, it was it was it, it absolutely sense, appropriate. Yeah, comic book wise, I for for some reason when I saw it, I was like, I feel like the the comic book Hair Star would not stand for being clubbed over the head. Comic book Hair Star would not have gotten within arm's reach of Jesse yeah, without get his having the building surrounded. Yeah. By a thousand grail agents fair. with shark shooting guns. Like, <laughs> he just doesn't doesn't put himself he does not lead from the front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um That was a great scene though. Yeah. I loved every second of it. Every se- there there's a moment in this scene where we've already we are gonna continue to sing the praises of Pip Torrance and, <laughs> and his adaptation of Hairstar. That that's not gonna the change. The way so. he said he was like you're in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was so funny. He's so funny. He's so insanely cultured. Mm-hmm. Like you know, despite what a what a sicko he is, he's like a Hannibal Lecter, t- dialed up. Yeah. But there's a part he already looks a lot strikingly like him, but there's this shot when he turns to the bartender and says, are you blind? <laughs> and the way the light fell on his scar and just his jaw, everything. I was like, God, he looks exactly like him. <laughs> and he's even starting to talk with his jaw slightly jutted out like his lower yeah. jaw. Yeah. And he'll yeah. kind of, he, it just looks exact. It's so bizarre <laughs> how they've made him look just like him. It's spectacular. That's awesome. And that whole line and the way he smiled and he's like, would you like to be, <laughs> So good. Like it, it, the performance is absolutely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He just, uh, he's hilarious. And every line out of his mouth is, is either going to be something just very interesting or the funniest part of the scene. Mm-hmm. But the part where Jesse actually said out loud, like 
you hired Mark Harlick. <laughs> I started laughing yeah. so hard. And I'm like, yes, it's go. We, we're getting more mileage out of this. So I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. Um, any other stuff about that interaction with Hairstar and Jesse? No, it's just, it's cool that they're sort of working together in a way. Like, uh, one of our regulars had floated that, like, do you think they're going to work together kind of thing? And I thought in the comic, like, there's no way. And you yeah. even asked Aunt Lance and I, like, does that really happen? Do they ever team up? And we're like, nah, no, not really. Yeah. Like, Jesse's pretty much always fleeing and Star's always pursuing. The idea that Star is kind of trying to appeal to de- to Jesse in, like, a teamwork kind of fashion. Right. He's trying to manipulate him. At least him. at first. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... It, it, Which I think he knows is smart. He... Comic... Or, I'm sorry, TV Star is already much smarter than the comic star because he's he knows like Jesse is a, he is brute force and he's not, Jesse's not stupid, but he's not like, he's not on this level. Yeah. So start, you know, by thinking he can kind of arrange things and manipulated him into feeling this way, but you know, jokes on him. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so Tulip, uh, Tulip having nightmares once again, uh, Cassidy and Denis in, in, in the bedroom, uh, celebrating 83 birthdays. I think Cass said, <laughs> I'm missing. Denis doesn't seem like he's 84 years old. Even even when he's dying earlier in the season, I wouldn't have called him 84. But no, I'm I'm kind of a bad judge of age in some cases. So, um, yeah, uh, Featherstone coming by. I think once again as Jenny. Mm-hmm. It's in, it's still insane to me the the difference between Featherstone and Jenny. It is. There's there's a wide gap between those two people and it's fantastic that yeah. she can pull that off. You know how actors need like some of them have like a little tick that they do to yeah. kind of get into character. For her, I I noticed that she's like grabbing onto her shirt and she's like like between her fingers like kind of rubbing it. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, yeah and, and just, like she's got a very like fidgety kind of nature and the the like midwesterner kind of accent that she puts on for it too. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of affectation of that character that just makes it completely transform from from Featherstone. So I I appreciated that quite a bit. Uh Hoover pacing around eating the booberry in the in the, <laughs> in the apartment was pretty good. Oh, but, Hoover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh and also Tulip, Tulip being like Getting retrieving the gun, and then she's like, "Sort of went off, but I can pay you for the bullet." I just thought that that was a very tulip way to yeah to talk about her shooting somebody. <laughs> so you know, t- I have this note later in the episode, and I'm going to mention it again later. But tulip feels like tulip again in this episode, and yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, I think Jenny brings some of that humanity back out of her. Like she just seems like a normal chick from down the hall who's got her own problems. And I think that that kind of brings Tulip back. Well, and on top of that, the fact that she breaks down here and Uh like actually finally has some kind of release in terms of actually crying in front of somebody and telling her about what's going on. Like, I think that does some wonders to get Tulip back to where she was, at least in some way. So I think like she's finally actually confiding into somebody about it. Well, and somebody who's not a vampire or her boyfriend with the power of God. Like yeah. it's a, just a normal girl who Tulip is not that different from, yeah. you know, with a rough history. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's nice to see as sad as it is. Cause we know that's not the case, especially later when Featherstone's like, I wish I could have killed her. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. all mean and shit. I was just felt yeah. bad. I was like, Oh man. yeah, 
tulips your butt though yeah <laughs> i uh really loved cassie's line we'll twist up an appetite when she says i'm gonna go make breakfast he's like we're about to play twister and he's like we'll, we'll twist up an appetite and i was like oh, god joe joe gilgan and pip torrens are gonna have to throw down for who's the best on this show oh yeah i mean it's it's tough right now yeah they're both so good for sure uh any other thoughts on act one all right, Act 2, Jesse gets to meet the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he learns that basically nobody knows where God is. However, he also learns about, quote, the boy, unquote, also known as the Messiah, and that the Pope thinks the boy should take over now that God is gone. Tulip confides pretty deeply in Jenny about everything happening to her, but Jenny sows some doubt into Tulip by questioning the saint's disappearance, as well as mentioning that she thinks Cassidy is cute. Denise is very forceful with the guests that Cassidy invited with them, but despite Cass's urgency to leave her alone or them alone. Um, so Jesse meeting with the Pope and the Archbishop, I thought was that was a pretty fun scene. Yeah. <laughs> the idea that they both kind of have their own ideas for what God's done or where he's going. Yeah. Fan yeah, <laughs> their, own, their own god fan fiction, which I mean is kind of a pretty good not not to not to tread into dangerous territory, but the idea that like religious religion as a whole is somebody putting faith into ideas of a story, you know, like that. I think you know that's a logical extrapolation that they would just be like, "Where's God now?" Well, he's been betrayed by. The seraphim by the seraphim or he's off to make something better than humans like oh, yeah man yeah. i almost started crying during that scene i was laughing so hard that, <laughs> that was the other belly laugh part mm-hmm. well first of all listen hair star is obviously the bomb but the grail in general so far is so perfect yeah and the guy even the guy the with, the, with the tray yes <laughs> oh god yeah. he was so funny <laughs> what did he ask him Jesse goes through and he, oh, he's metal. like, yeah, he's like, but his voice, he seemed like a character. I can't remember what he reminded me of. He had he a just Spanish had, accent. That he was had this really, he, he kind of reminded me of Hank Azaria from the birdcage. Okay. The way he speaks, it just, God, it made me laugh because he looked tough and mean and he just has a weird voice like, do I have keys or something <laughs> yeah. like that? It just was so <laughs> funny. Yeah. And then the way he stuck those piercings and just kind of <laughs> gestures. Yeah, he's kind of like, he, he's like intrigued and yeah, interested maybe? in it too. And yeah. then when Jesse doesn't say anything, he makes this noise. <laughs> he just goes, mm. <laughs> yeah, he just made this like, mm. this little mm noise. It was so funny. Yeah. I was like, oh man, these guys are geniuses. Like, I could just imagine them, like Rogan and Goldberg, standing like at the monitors, watching the scene play, and just giggling to each other. Like, God, this is so we're so funny. Like, just like laughing at how funny that scene was. Uh, Jesse still has a bullet, has that bullet from the saint in his pocket. They kind of linger on a little bit. I don't really know that it means anything other than the saint's still out there. But it might have also just kind of reminded him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other note, the only other notes I have, I just, the, uh, so this is, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Tulip is talking to Jenny, right? This is the Guitar Hero scene? Not yet, no. Okay. Uh, no, this is the pancake scene. Right, okay, yep. and they're just kind of, right. They're chilling at the kitchen table, uh, yeah. and, and, and Feather, or Jenny's kind of like Cassie, you know, he's pretty cute. That right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I just had a note here that I, I had just kind of said I'd love to to watch a spy show on like of this caliber, or like on this level, because 
and there may be one out there, yeah. but like really good. I think that our, our idea generally of spies is a little perverted. Like people think of like, uh, mission impossible. It's very the, glorified in the casino Royale. And in real life, spies are pretty dull, yeah. like on paper. But like, have you guys seen, I know Lance has probably seen it, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. No, I haven't. I've been wanting to. Say what? I know. <laughs> I saw it. It hasn't happened It was yet. a while ago, though. Whoa. Yeah. Alex saw it and you didn't? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Lance, you see every movie. I do, I do I'm yeah. I'm surprised. This one, uh, this one, you know, I heard such great things about how it's methodical. and It's super score. methodical. It's yeah. almost kind of boring. Yeah. But it's so... If you get into the characters and the situations, you realize how insanely tense it is. It's an all-star cast, too. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I think the reality of a spy, I mean, it is always looking over your shoulder. It is always, like, you you don't know when someone might close in on you, and they'll just, like, in an alley, shoot you in the head and walk away, and, like, that's it. And your government will disavow any knowledge of you, and that's it. Like, you don't get... You don't even get, like, a, a death that you see coming. Like, you will just be snuffed out like a candle flame. And you have to keep that that deep cover and stick to those stories and become that role. And so watching Featherstone become this other woman with his full on backstory that I believe as I'm watching it. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I know Tulip's no dummy and she totally buys into this for a while anyway. Yeah. Until uh, Featherstone slips up. But I remember just watching it and as, as an audience member privileged with all the information, I was just soaking it up and I was like, man, I just want to see a spy show like this where it, it's this tense and, the, and people are playing this level of game with each other. Kind of like Rubicon, you know, we kind of, yeah. we got that level of intrigue and that intelligence in it. And I was like, oh man, I just want another great like piece of spy work like that. For sure. For sure. And then the other line that really killed me during the, when the, uh, first of all, the Archbishop's theory sounded like another show. Like it yeah, was the funny. One, the one with the seraphim. Yes. And the, and the coup. <laughs> yes. The coup and God is on the run. And then the Pope made me laugh when he's like, it's stupid. And he's like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> and then the Pope starts explaining his. And when he talks about God going to make another species and he said the dinosaurs failed him, I started laughing <laughs> <laughs> my ass off. Yeah. I just had this mental image of this big, dumb T-Rex standing there, just not doing whatever God had in mind for it. And I was, just, I thought of all the critters in no man's sky that are rolling around that are like this bizarre, mashup of like <laughs> mushrooms and reptiles and i was yeah. like oh my god this is so funny <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty good i liked uh when when jenny and and tulip are talking about cassidy jenny says so charming and damaged so bony that's how i like them all elbows and adam's apples <laughs> yeah. that was a, a pretty good characterization of Joe yeah and, and even her like yeah exactly <laughs> and she totally seemed like it seems real yeah even the way she kind of laughed afterwards like yeah no it's weird but, but we know it's serving that other purpose of right. kind of pushing Tulip towards Cassidy right. anyway. Yeah. And then it's funny when you see uh, Re- Ronald, isn't that, or what's, is Ronnie. That, Ronnie, and it's, he's the opposite. <laughs> he's yeah. Hoover. Yep. That was, uh, that was really good. I, I think one other good quick point to make is that Hairstar clearly thinks the Archbishop and the Pope are morons. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's very funny when he calls them the greatest minds in our, in our world. Even though he, you can, it's playing on his face that he thinks these guys are nitwits. Yeah. And even when he kind of looks at Jesse when they're both arguing, when they're bickering with each other, and yeah. Jesse's kind of like just caught up and like, what the? And he looks at Star and Star just, mm, mm. just kind of glances at him and he says, "You see, the greatest minds in the world don't know." And yeah. the way he says it is very like he's just used to calling them that, but he doesn't think that that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts in Act Two? All right. 
Act three, we see Thaddeus or Jude or whoever it happens to be essentially uh, founding the Grail, and Hair Star tells Jesse their mission to perfect Christ, protect Christ's lineage for the end of the world. Currently, they are on Jesus's twenty fifth great great grandson, and Jesse uses the word on Hair Star to head out and meet the child. Denis tries to bite bite April, the name of the prostitute, uh, who then runs out of the photo booth and flees with the other prostitute at an arcade with Cassidy. Cassidy lectures Denise, similar to a parent talking to a child about puberty, and Denise shrugs it off. Tulip and Jenny play rock band to Dirty Little Secret by the All-American Rejects, and Jenny accidentally lets it slip that she knows about Tulip robbing banks in Dallas. Tulip tries to call her on it, but she relents as Jenny runs into the bathroom to set up an exit plan or distraction. Um, so, back in Jesus' time, we see Thaddeus there to collect the baby, essentially, and there's a woman there with a red hood and white gown, and then all the men have white robes with red sashes, much like the Grail in modern day, which I thought was a pretty fun bowl. detail. Yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, we're we're kind of driving to the point of Jesse learning or meeting the the Christ Child, so we can we can kind of sum up our thoughts there. Unless you guys have anything specifically about what happened in this act. But uh, I enjoyed Denis getting the lecture about puberty. <laughs> That's a nice parallel. It's like Cassidy has to go through all the parenty things that he didn't do the first time through. Right. Now as a vampire. Yeah. Vampire dad. Yep. Ghost dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kind of got the impression for a second that he that Denis did bite her. There was no blood, but yeah. she she walked away with like her hand on her neck. That's true. And I immediately was kind of like, oh shit! Is he turning people? Are, are we getting? Yeah. Are we about to get a mob of? Are we about to get a vampire breakout in New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess we don't necessarily know. Uh, but the the thing uh, I remember reading, somebody talked about being at like a Q and A with Garth Ennis or something like that, and somebody stood up and asked, "Are all the people that Cassidy bites do they turn into vampires?" And Garth Ennis was like, "Oh." So you're one of those people. <laughs> yeah. So the idea, I don't know, like maybe, maybe, maybe Denise turning a bunch of people or maybe not. I don't, we don't know the rules. We might not learn the rules. We might not need to learn the rules, but. Well, what, um, what Cassie does to people in the comic, no, they're not turning into vampires. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're not turning into much. Nah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've kind of wondered that too, but I kind of just let it go. Like, like, I mean, what's, what's a recent, not a recent movie, but like one that, had vampire in the title interview with the vampire and um, <laughs> you have to have vampire in the title you have to uh, oh shit <laughs> it was twice interviewed the vampire the vampire chronicles that was called i don't know anyway uh so but like yeah do they bite them and they kill them or like is there a certain way that they bite them to turn them yeah. into a vampire because you, you always see them biting people on the neck yep but like do you just stick your fangs in them and then pull out real quick? I mean, like it's weird. Yeah, the, and like, is it is it a viral infection or is it like a like how does it? Yeah, yeah. Those I rules think it, I think shift from story to story. Yeah, it feels so. like if you don't, if you just bite them, then they're if you don't turn. have the intention to turn them, then they don't necessarily. Like, I've always just thought like if you don't like rip their throat out and feed on them, they're gonna turn into vampires mm-hmm. because I think. Cassidy's origin in the book kind of demonstrates that that's pretty much what happens that if okay. you if you are bitten but not like fed upon then you will turn interesting whether a vampire does it consciously or 
accidentally. Like you are bitten with the intent to be dinner, but then something interrupts interrupts. Or, yeah. yeah. Or, or the you vampire get away somehow. Exactly. That's how I've pretty much always taken it. Interesting. I and I we'll think see. so if this, if he, if Denny did bite her and she, she uh, out there and she, uh, got away. I don't know. We'll see. We will see. I mean, as you said, couple episodes ago Seth Rogen had said in regard like there's a lot of vampire stuff coming in the latter half of the yeah. season so we may I I feel like between this moment and the very end of this episode there are other vampires in New Orleans right now I think Denise making more mm-hmm. yeah That's, I think you I think he wants he wants some pals that makes <laughs> sense uh yeah and then Tulip and Jenny playing dirty little secret <laughs> <laughs> funny that we get that song three times on the episode See, this all flew way all over, over your my head, head. Yeah. yeah and it's very cool i recognized him because he was in parenthood and he played he plays uh uh jesus no he played he plays the lead singer of a band that's being recorded at one of the character studios in that show so i like gotcha. I, I i knew i knew it was him and obviously i i knew the all American reject song and then the fact that it came up several times in the episode I was like they're really laying it on thick with the yeah. all American rejects I thought that that was the only song that they, they could get licensed that's why I was like and that might be it yeah. that could very easily be like we're only gonna pay for one license for this episode so that's why we're gonna play that three times which makes it even funnier in my opinion but is parent parenthood you said that's what you're yeah. doing is that the show with Peter Krause yes man Peter Krause oh yeah we gotta talk about six feet under sometime. Another show. Just talk about parenthood. <laughs> we can do the Krause cast. Yes. Uh, and then, other than that, yeah, Tulip catching um, Tulip catching Featherstone talking about robbing banks in Dallas. I was kind of wondering if you guys had any thoughts about whether or not that was something they had learned by surveillance or if that was something that they learned by like previous study or reconnaissance like i was i was kind of wondering how would they have known not that it's important for anything oh, you're one of those people <laughs> exactly <laughs> like i part of me was like huh, i guess I, like it, i felt like if there was any discussion of that then it would have been earlier in season two and we don't see them surveilling until like midway through the season Mm-hmm. So it, it, that was just kind of a. No, we we don't really need to spend any time. Maybe on the, it, the there's a file on Jesse, but there's not really a file on Tulip. But you know, I'll, I'll quote. Doesn't, doesn't mean they couldn't do that research. Yeah, exactly. obviously. Yeah. So that's yeah. fair. I'll quote Nick and say Grail. <laughs> there you go. Hashtag Grail. <laughs> uh, Act four. Tulip confronts Jenny once again about Dallas until they're interrupted by Hoover playing Rodney is his name. It's not Ronnie. Uh, Tulip and Jenny take Rodney out and enjoy it. Uh, and as Tulip patches Jenny up in the bathroom, Jenny suggests Tulip fix the broken tile in the bathroom since she's handy. Jesse takes planes, trains, and automobiles to get to the Christ child. And when he finally meets him, he asks if he is on the right path when the Christ child pees on him. We learn that his name is Humperdue. Humperdue has a booklet and drawings of a dog that look a lot like the dog from the dog show in New Orleans. Uh, Jesse uses the word on Humperdue to see if he knows where God is, but Humperdue just starts freaking out and Jesse and Hairstar leave. Uh, yeah. Hoover, Hoover being Rodney, <laughs> not quite as skillful in the transformations as Featherstone is. That's It was good, though. I thought, it, no. I thought he did a good job. I thought it'd be way worse. Yeah, yeah it, it could have been much more inept, and, and it, it could have been, like, th- there wasn't anything there to, like, make me think, oh, Tulip's not going to buy this. Like, it, it certainly still works, but... It, 
Oh, I know? thought it was brilliant. I, I thought, <laughs> man, that Featherstone is crafty. She, yeah, yeah. Featherstone has has a, quite a mastermind, and and like she she certainly knows what she's doing. Um, and she'd certainly figured out how to salvage that situation at least. Um, what did you think about Jenny or Featherstone knowing, like kind of knowing about the saint, like what that felt a little weird yeah. to me of like the, like she knows that it's going to be some kind of point of contention or that something's going to be in there. Like they weren't there when the saint came, I'm kind of getting more into the same stuff that I buckled down in the last act but it seemed a little sloppy yeah i think she's i think pretty much uh, it seems the apparent that her objective right now is to observe them and to try to drive a wedge between them and jesse Mm -hmm. and i think she just kind of pokes at things and if it seems to she throws spaghetti at the wall as you said earlier (laughs) and whatever sticks she'll start to try to twist and see how far she can go with it and i think that the she she's been watching them in the apartment with Tulip talking about having these nightmares about it and Jesse continually brushing her off. In a way, Featherstone is kind of seeing the same stuff we are and and where the void is between these two and she's just trying to expand it. So I think she knows she can focus on this same thing. Even in the earlier scene where she's like, if he says he did it, he did it. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I could, I, I could, I guess I could pick some nits with it because it's just kind of like, we don't have a clear logical path from her understanding that those are the saints weapons and that that would be like, I don't know. Maybe, 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 I don't know. I'm maybe I'm thinking about it too much. If they can learn about the saint in the library, then why wouldn't the grail know a whole lot about him? Right. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So Humperdoo. <laughs> Humperdoo. <laughs> Is that his name in the books? He doesn't sure. have a name in the books. That's what he shouts. That's, that's, pretty, what he m- that's pretty much all he says. Okay. Yeah. yeah right. He, uh, before we even get to that, the whole sequence of Jesse traveling there was awesome. That was good. Um, yeah. yeah. It was cool. one of my favorite parts of the episode. It reminded me of the beginning of Hot Fuzz when yeah. he's going from London to, uh, West Gloucestershire. Is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the town. I yeah. think that's an actual place. So never mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, He's like losing cell service. I'm trying to remember because Martin, Martin Freeman yeah, just like Sanford. Sanford Gloucestershire. <laughs> but he blurts it out. Oh God, I love Hot Fuzz, by the way. <laughs> For the record, Hot Fuzz, I actually, so everyone has those movies they've seen in the theaters a couple times because you liked it. I saw Hot Fuzz like four times in the theater. <laughs> I loved it. I still do. It's my favorite Edgar Wright movie. But that whole uh, sequence in that, if you haven't seen it, is you by all means go watch that movie. Uh, is very striking when he it, the, the way it's edited and the way it cuts suddenly from like daytime to nighttime and it just it has such a rapid it tells a story quickly and it's beautiful yeah he took Guy Ritchie's thing and like did it even better for mm-hmm. for just a one scene pretty much and then dismissed that technique for the most part and uh, this whole sequence is just just so cool it's so much fun to watch and I love when the the directors and the cinematographers of the series get to really like flex their muscles and do some really crazy stuff. And it just puts you right in there. It's just totally terrific. Yeah. Terrific sequence. Um, but yeah, Humperdoo. Humperdoo. So Humperdoo, uh, this is almost even more insensitive than, uh, stars encounter. Like it's, it's so, 
this is the kind of thing that is would upset people. Like I'm surprised that the, that the show goes there. So you uh, are, are you are you saying the? Uh, I guess we'll try to step around some eggshells here, but the idea that the child of Christ is clearly mentally deficient, right? In some way. Yeah. Well, and the idea that this secret society that murdered uh, the woman who gave birth to Christ's illegitimate child would continue to inbreed this child to keep his bloodline pure over the course of 25 generations, 27, I guess, if you count uh, Jesus. And like, it's such, when I, when this happens in the book, when I read that, I was like, Oh my, <laughs> Oh my word. This is such a crazy idea. And the, the imagination not, not even the imagination it would take to because the idea is not the thing is it's not that insane like this is all somewhat that's rooted in like English royalty yeah. right, you know? right. Totally exactly is. exactly yeah. but when I read it in the book I was like this guy went here and <laughs> and, and full force like he comes crack Kool-Aid manning in through the wall with these ideas in this book and you read them and you're like oh wow yeah and I don't at this point this was one of the few things going into this show like when they were like, we're going to do a preacher TV show. I was like, Humperdue. Like, <laughs> one of the first things I was thinking. That's, like, what, that's what Mike said. He mentioned in a few emails a, a, a while back. He's like, there are some things that are going to make you shit is what he said yes, to me. Essentially. And this is one of them. This okay. was one of them. Yeah. And as they were alluding to this one in the season, I was like, are they going to do it? <laughs> and actually in the first email, I, uh, I responded to Mike and myself i just right at the beginning went harper like as like a greeting because he just runs around shouting that pretty much yeah like it it's it's almost meaner in the book but at the same time in the book he's he's kind of portrayed as just like a stupid teenager like he's yeah. a lot younger yeah and he just seems like kind of adult and in this he's clearly he's like kind of screwed up like it's like i don't know it's uh He's the most <laughs> caricature of inbreeding that you could possibly find. Short of like hills the, have eyes. Yeah. 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 Where he's like a giant mutant. And yeah. everyone in the book, everyone has to be like, be nice to him. Be like, <laughs> yeah. be like, oh yeah, that's great. You know, that's great that you just did that. Like, well, should I say what the things that he does? Because kind of, they kind of did the TV version of him peeing on him. Yeah. So like. Hum- and, and Star yeah. in the in the in the show is very much like, yes, hello, that's my head. Like he just is like. Placating he's like, him. Yeah, he's a lot more patronizing than I would expect Star to be with just about anybody, really. He's very just like, he's letting him do his thing because he knows like this entire society is built around this kid. Yeah. Which is crazy. No, they, uh, you know, there's not much to say about it other than that it's... It's Humperdue. They did it, they did it more accurately than I thought they were going to. Wow. More in line with the comic. I thought that they would... These guys aren't afraid of anything. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Between Hitler being uh, a top build character, <laughs> Humperdoo, and Hairstar getting raped, I was like, they've covered some some of the biggest stuff that, if not the biggest stuff that's in the book. Mm-hmm. Hitler's not even in the book, but well, in a lot of t- like TV nowadays, especially the shows that are like, if I come back to the pinnacle of Game of Thrones, like Game of Thrones deals with with incest and it deals with rape and maybe not in the best of ways most of the time. But the idea that it's coming to basic cable is is pretty uh, it's pretty crazy. You mean in preacher? Yeah, in preacher. Yeah, and it's in the modern era. Yeah, and it's dealt with comedically. Yeah, like these 
these are tricky subjects. Yes, they are. They're not for the for writers that are faint of heart. Yes. And these guys, uh, they're going for it, and they're making it part of the story and part of the world. Yeah, I think I will have to like. I'll have to enlist one of you two guys. We should we should be trying to find somebody who's consistently writing about this week to week, just to pull in some of the bigger picture in terms of like maybe there's a writer out there who isn't as familiar with preacher, but is still reviewing the show and what their thoughts are on it mm-hmm. in terms of being a more well, normal, <laughs> non jaded viewer. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that, but this kind there's of st- gotta be some perspectives out there that'll shed a little bit more light. Oh, yeah. onto- I mean this kind of stuff, if this show had been 10, 10 years ago, yeah, it would have lit the internet on fire. Yeah, the show would have, there would have been people calling for there'd be death threats. Yeah, this yeah. is like Tipper Gore and Hillary Clinton being like, we need to boycott AMC, like yeah. moving legislation yeah. through the. And I think that the world is kind of distracted right now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they're able to just make that. Like I, it really feels like in five, ten years, people are going to go back and write on this show and, and say, hey, these guys were doing this in 2017, and yeah. people didn't seem to be worried about it, and it's yeah. amazing. And then maybe that's the thing. Maybe this show. Maybe the people watching this show are all preacher fans, and they're literally the only ones seeing it. Could be. Like they've got they've got something like two million or three million like viewers or something like that per episode nowadays, and maybe it's just a yeah. preacher fan base. Yeah. And me. <laughs> and and P- yeah, and Alex. <laughs> But. That should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> Preacher fans and Alex. <laughs> uh, and people are, you know, they are getting used to stuff like this. I mean, yeah. Game of Thrones, Mar- there's the, there's Marvel some, stuff, Walking Dead. Desensitization, desensitization that's happening or, for or sure. Or people being open to to stories. And I think that, that that's an important distinction to make. This show is not gospel. No, no pun intended. Like it's not. This is not a documentary. And, and I I, Lance, you put it. You said this last week. You're like, it's mm-hmm. a story, mm-hmm. and it's fiction. Yeah, this is not I instructional. Don't feel like I feel like there are shows that have that have taken harder punches at religion than this one. Definitely, yeah. but this is the kind that draws ire from people. Where they like you did. You were mean. You didn't treat it seriously. Well, uh, yes and no, but I like I feel I feel like there's still this very like the idea that it comes out and they're like God is real, but he's gone and there's this devout man trying to figure out what the hell is going on. The heart of it still feels like it's like it's actually like Maybe that's why Jesse is so devout in the show, just to like offset. Oh, but his intentions are good. <laughs> he really cares about God. Right. Maybe that. Maybe just that, hang in there. Like that. That actually. Like that. For some reason, that to that to me, as a person who's not particularly religious, like I, I'm willing to be like, like it. I'm seeing it in a in a lighter fashion than I'm seeing something like, like this. This feels more like a like a like a Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, like interpolation extrapolation kind of situation than it does like um i can't think of something that more openly rips on religion but mm-hmm. you know dogma it, dogma yeah, man. exactly yeah. exactly yeah and dogma is brilliant also yeah. yeah 
and at the time was very edgy like that that drew a lot of ire too oh, yeah. so yeah. you know for some reason this feels like in a different category than that but maybe that's my own it's also just so well made yeah like it's mm-hmm. such a well-made show mm-hmm. uh you gotta respect it there. I, something i want to add yeah the it's a reddit comment and you know reddit comments it's they're just you know where you go and they for, get quoted on the news now yeah i guess so. yeah but, um but this one i liked because the whole thing about hairstars rape where someone said it was funnier in the comic because more of it was left to the imagination and hairstars reaction. In the comic was more horrified, traumatizing, but then someone commented on that to say, I think if they made him horrified in the TV show, it would remove any humor from the situation and just be sad. So the thing you said about making fun of stuff is kind of where this goes, you know? Yeah. 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 He was very just, ambivalent about the whole situation and he mm-hmm. continues to be so even in this episode yeah and they actually they made it even funnier we'll talk about that scene yeah by what Hairstar says yeah uh so and then I guess the only other thing not that I expect you guys to be able to talk about it too much I don't I I Maybe I can just look at your reactions to what I say here but the idea that the booklet has drawings of the dog from New Orleans um yeah that's uh i've heard this theory floated yeah yeah that the man in the dog suit is god yeah i mean i think we even maybe wondered if that was the case like we were wondering why asking to, to see god in new orleans would lead you to this show that doesn't seem to have anything to do with god right um Yes, we did call attention to that in episode one. I think it's episode two, one or two. Two or three. Yeah. Somewhere in there. And he's in the credits. The dog is in the credit sequence. Yep. And dog is God backwards. Yep. And he's but in the would, book. Would Here's the thing. All right. So okay. God is not dressed in a dog gimp suit in the comics. Okay. Yeah. This this would be a new development. This, and, is, this is TV <laughs> show creation. Yeah. Yes. And it would be it would be interesting. I don't know where it would go though. And I don't know if God is there because he's hiding or because somebody has him captive. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I don't. So just for the, for going forward, God in the books is always God. When he shows up, he's God. Okay. And he's never not posing as somebody else or no, not like in disguise or anything. No, God in the, yeah. God in the books is he's God and he knows it okay. and he's, not afraid to show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, I guess the question then is like, what, who, why would Humper do know about that sex show, that that dog show? It's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I guess what, we'll whether see. or not like God carries that suit with him when he goes out. I don't know. Like maybe he visited Humperdoo in that guise to make him more. Because he looks like a dog. Maybe it's red herring. Maybe yeah. it is red herring. May, yeah. Although, see, I Jesse seems to take note of it, and that's the thing. I when it when it showed it, I was like a drawing of dog. So what? Like I didn't really make the connection to the to the dog to the from the dog show, show until I was thinking about it today. Actually, because I, I did watch it last night as it was as it was rolling, and I today I was kind of thinking about that, and I was like, I wonder if that was the dog. Yeah. But Jesse kind of seems to look at it and think like, oh. Did a drawing of a dog. All right. And then like move on. Yeah. And, but Jesse, Jesse's not the best detective (laughs) as you know, 
clearly printed on the back of the DVD, Grail Industries, and he, he missed that little nugget somehow. Yeah. But it, it feels like one of those moments that Jesse could call back to later. Yep. You know? Yeah. And this could be another thing. Now, now I'm going to go conspiracy theory territory, but like... Do it. This could be on rails. There's there's a video game term that I've heard recently. There's like, there's like open world and then there's on rails. Mm-hmm. And so... They could be putting Jesse on rails right now. They, they, you know, they could be like this is where Jesse needs to be, and the Grail is pushing him towards realizing something. You yeah. Know? So that 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 little drawing book could be there because they wanted. Clearly, to be there. Hairstar. Like we find out that Hairstar was like, I wanted you to, I wanted you to see the Pope and and the Archbishop. I wanted you to meet Humperdoo. Maybe he wanted Jesse to see that notebook. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think so. But Hairstar, hair star, yeah, I guess that's the thing is that Hairstar is like, I don't know where God is, but I have resources. Like, that's kind of his thing throughout this episode. I don't think Hairstar wants to find God. No. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't want Jesse to find God either. He wants Jesse to be God. To or be to, God. To act, yeah. And to help him. Like, I, he absolutely wanted him to meet the Pope and the Archbishop and Humperdue. Yeah. Because he wanted him to see, like, he wanted him to become disenchanted like Hare Star was. Correct. And in the books, uh, you you get the vibe initially that Hare Star is like, he's Hare Star, but at the same time, he still works for the Grail. Yeah. But then you realize, like, he doesn't agree. He's got He that. does not agree that Humperdue is the Messiah, and he is the one who's going to rule the world. Like, he's like, he's a realist. And he's like, uh, no, this guy cannot rule the world. He just can't. Yeah. And so I think... In the show, he is already here as well. He's already in this place. And he's like, we, he wanted Jesse to see, like, this is where this incredibly powerful organization, this organization that can make anything happen, when it's declared the end of the world, as intelligent and powerful as they are, they're going to turn to this guy and yeah. say, here's your leader. And here starts like, no. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of like, in, not saying to Jesse, but saying like, do you, do you see what I'm saying here? Like this can't happen. Do, is this where you want to see the world go? Yeah. Do you want the keys to be handed to him or do you want to maybe actually do some good? Yeah. Is how he's going to play it to Jesse. Like you can make a difference and you can help the world be better, but then he's obviously just going to mastermind him until he figures out a way to extract Genesis for himself or Correct. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. All right. Uh, well, we're kind of already leading into act five. So, uh, Cassidy comes back to the apartment with a bird tattoo, but don't worry, Denise is worse because he got shemp from the Three Stooges. Which is, that was my belly laugh. The, the delivery of that line was so good. He makes yep. his face like when he when he thinks something's genuinely funny and stupid, he like scrunches his face. Like, can you believe that? Like, like he even thinks like, that's a bad decision. Why would he choose shemp? Ah, that guy. Uh, Tulip discovers the saint's weapons in the bathroom and lays them out on the table, waiting for Jesse to come come home here star reveals to jesse his plan how he was disenchanted when he met humperdu and jesse realizes star wanted him to meet humperdu as well here star questions why jesse would look for god when he could just be god but jesse rebuffs by calling it blasphemy here star drops jesse off at denise's apartment as denise uh, stumbles home with a blood-stained mouth and here star sows more doubt into the quote-unquote help that tulip and cassidy are providing jesse um yeah, so this is the, yeah, we get our third playing of Dirty Little Secret, which was wonderful. And um, Tulip rooting around in, in the 
in the hidey hole to find the guns and, and Cutlass, I think, was pretty good. Her wait, laying in wait on the table with everything there. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's as soon as Jen, like the next episode is Jesse walking into the apartment and into dealing, an ambush. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but then, yeah, so there was kind of the recontextualization of, of Hairstar's experience with the professionals last week. The idea that as that was happening to him, he thought of Jesse and saw Jesse like that. Uh, I think that was what you were touching on with the addition of some, like making it even funnier in terms he of had some epiphany. Yeah. No, the part that actually made me laugh was that he's, he called them local ruffians. Yeah. And then <laughs> he describes, he, he describes it briefly in, in some graphic detail. Yeah. And then he starts to go on and he goes, Never mind. And like, <laughs> I started laughing because I was like, he almost, he says it as though like, I'll spare you the, the details, but he already like made it very detailed. Like that He's just like, made I me laugh. I was sodomized. Yeah. Like, <laughs> against my will. Yeah. And it just keeps going. And then finally he goes, never mind. <laughs> as if he decides like, no, that's not appropriate. I thought that was so good. Yeah. I expected to see another Dominic Cooper face, like the one in season one when Tulip's yelling and he just made that face. Yeah. No, I thought that was, that was a good way to to make some light of the situation that Hairstar is just so methodical about the whole thing and then yeah. he decides to like never mind I'll <laughs> stop there um, that was so funny uh, I have to rewind for one second yeah. there's a note I totally missed the All Father yes they made reference to the All Father they did yes, yes they did uh, when, so- when Jesse has his hood on uh-huh. and they you first can appear s- you can see the outline of Star Speaking to somebody, yeah, he's conversing with like the person who's sh- like the the steward of Humperdoo's complex or something like mm-hmm. that. And uh, I I know that I, yeah, he said the All Father didn't tell us to expect you. To oh yeah, yeah right. I did I did have that written down. I forgot to bold it, so I apologize. This is some. He's a character that somebody wrote in. I don't remember if it was if it was Bruce or Mike or uh, another party but said like they didn't necessarily want to see this character and okay. I was like I 1000% disagree. <laughs> Hell yeah. I want to see this yep. as comic accurate as possible. <laughs> yes, with everything that comes with it. Yes, everything. <laughs> oh man, when I heard when I heard I was like say what? <laughs> and I got so excited. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad that he didn't show up in this episode. Right. Like this was this was enough. And I guess here's the thing. I was just about to like, I part of me, as you guys are talking about this, I was like, maybe I should cut this out. But then I realized that like, I wrote this down because for some reason, the all father to me does not sound like God. No, no, it's not. It's gotta be somebody else. So I I, like, I, Oh yeah. Like I was, cause I thought about it. I was like, I guess that could be read as maybe potentially being seen as God. But for some reason in my mind, I did not. And so, I mean, I'm going to let this stay in, obviously, and hopefully people aren't mad about that. I don't think they would be. I don't no. think they should be. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, the idea that like for some reason I heard the All Father and was like, that's not God. That's somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, it's a title. Is it Odin? <laughs> it is not Odin. That'd be insane. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Hopkins just rolls through. <laughs> no, nope. yeah, no, that. Yeah, I did have that written down. I'm Sorry. Glad, I'm I did. Glad, no, I'm glad you saw it because I think that is something important to call out for sure. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And uh, I'm really glad that that was mentioned. Uh, is there anything else about Jesse and, and Star's 
discussion in the car. Like it, it to me, it, it seemed pretty the star straightforward. Car. Yeah, the star car. <laughs> uh, the it seems like that kind of pretty much lays it out there mostly. Like it certainly lays the groundwork and very plainly calls out that Star thinks that he could rule the world or that he wants to or that he wants to be a part of it at least with Jesse. Like I could very easily see this turning into what I said of like as soon as Star figures out number one if he can take Genesis from Jesse and number two if he can house Genesis himself that he would do those things and therefore take control of the world. Well, I think the grail, the grail probably already knows that Genesis tried several other hosts and it didn't work out. Yeah. I think they know what happens Mm -hmm. at the same time. Stars disinterest and disbelief in Jesse kind of makes me wonder maybe he isn't aware that much of Genesis. I think the grail is. Okay. I think that that information is available for stars should he choose to read it. Okay. He clearly... He leaves it to the underlings like Featherstone to know and... Yeah, the, only the, the highest priority information can make it, th- I mean, to the top of his desk. So I think if like random religious figures were exploding around the world, they would be like, that's weird. And they would start to make a case. Chart it and figure it out. Right. But now they'll probably be able to figure out like, oh, that was that. Was that. Yeah. Uh, or plus he said they work hand in glove with heaven yeah. for 2000 years. Mm-hmm. Somebody up there will probably tell him like, yeah, that was the thing that got out and it's in him. And, uh, he's apparently the only one that can contain it. We don't know why. Yeah. The grail has people there. So yeah, that's fair. Mark Harlick's still up there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Running the place. Yeah. He's still up there waiting in his, in his green room. Uh, I really love this scene because the, the chemistry between star and Jesse is at this really interesting place now where it's almost like there's almost like some trust there. Yeah. Even though there's not like, I think the one would kill the other in an instant if they had to, but yet they're both in this incredibly unique position in the world. They are the only two people probably on the planet that know some of the stuff that the other does. Like star is so insanely privileged with his knowledge. Yeah. And he has shared some pretty heavy stuff already with Jesse to the point where these two, it's not like they're friends, but they're almost kind of, I'm trying to think of two other characters to compare it to. It's almost kind of a, kind of a Batman Joker thing where like at this point, one not may not be able to exist without the other. And they, they kind of complement and contrast each other. Like just there, Jesse's part of something so big now. Well, even visually, Jesse wearing the all black preacher suit, thick full head of hair, thick full head of hair, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, and and Star wearing the white yes. blanket. Yeah, yeah. The, I think these two, the, the relation, yin, the yin and the yang. Yes, the yeah. the the relationship they have in the books is very interesting, but it's it's more like Tom and Jerry. Yeah, and them they may by the time this whole series is said and done and we're looking at the complete series blu-ray or whatever's next on the uhd set on our shelf they may go down as one of the all-time great like jack Shepard and john locke from lost kind of thing where even though that fell the hell apart at the end <laughs> for locke especially uh just this great tandem yeah. slash like arch nemesis duo and I just think there's a really cool moment of 
two guys sitting in the backseat of a car talking about the fate of the world. And they are the only two people that could possibly divert it from where it's going to go. Yeah. And the scene is so understated and so quick that if you, if you blinked or if you were looking at your phone, you'd miss it. But I think it was so huge and like that such an epic moment. And it's just played so low key. Even the way Stardust goes, think about it. Like as he, yeah. as he goes to leave is so funny. It's like, Oh, oh, just think it over, you know, sleep on it. What do you want to do about the fate of the, of earth and humanity? Yeah. It's amazing. Well, and Jesse, like Jesse's so very dismissive about it. Like he certainly doesn't even take the time to consider it. He's just kind of like, even though he's just learned that the child of Christ is still there, he's like, well, that's him. He's the one like, this is, this is the way it is. That's how it should be. This is what, like, this is how it's supposed to happen. So him being that, devout in it it'll be interesting to see if he gets turned or even begins to entertain that idea although i don't see him ever necessarily going along with that but i don't know we'll see any other thoughts lance um i liked uh when he was outside the car talking to him yeah and how he said something about I got friends, you know, and then um, Star was like, "Oh, do you?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it reminded me of this <laughs> "All Is Lost" moment that's that's in screenplays, and I read about it in this book called "Save the Cat," and we're getting there. And what what I thought about was that, wow. So like, as low as I feel right now for Jesse, it's actually going to get worse. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, especially with some of the stuff that we know mm-hmm. is coming down the pipeline. Yep. Jesse's going to get put through the through the ringer. Yeah. Well, even, you know, the tulip situation, obviously, but that's a good there's point. More. There's yeah, more. Yeah, he coming. does. I have friends. Do you? Mm-hmm. They're helping me. Mm-hmm. Are, Are they? they? <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's not he's being condescending to him, but at the same time, he's making him think about the question. Mm-hmm. Like, do you? Are they? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a time coming soon where Jesse is going to need their help and they may not be in a position to help him. Yeah. He may have to figure it out on his own and it's going to be like, it's going to be nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was episode 10, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we got three more. Whew. Yeah. Hey, wait. <laughs> uh, so any other thoughts on dirty little secret? Uh, this was one of the most comic heavy episodes what'd you think yeah it was hilarious i thought i liked i I liked the from from start to yeah i mean just like it's it's ridiculous in a way and 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 i like that tone you know i like i like keeping it at that tone yeah it's it's simultaneously heavier and lighter than a lot of the earlier stuff this season i just think i know i know when i was watching it there was a lot of comic book stuff coming in hot and and uh there was a lot of it and i thought oh man this is like for comic fans this is going to be very exciting mm-hmm. but it made me blind in some ways initially to how the actual episode was quality wise it's kind of like i think the the point being that i even sometimes in like the early 2010s when marvel and and other, you know, any other superhero properties, Sony or whoever, were in a way really hitting their stride. 
sometimes I was blind to, to certain things. Like even as much as I might love like the first Thor, it, it may have big problems that I just overlook because I'm like, I think it's a cool superhero movie and I'm sort of not I'm immune to any of the bad stuff about it. It was good to it. see Thor on the screen. Yeah. Right, once, exactly. Kind of thing, yeah. And I think that that's something to be very wary of. And I think with, with Preacher too, the, the, with this episode specifically, so much comic stuff came that I was like, oh, finally. But I wanted to be sure that it was still a good episode for the show. And I, I, as somebody who doesn't have that comic book baggage, I guess I'll call it, I think, I think this was very, like this to me felt like it mattered and it felt like we're going somewhere and it had momentum to it. Good. Where in the past couple of weeks, I'm not sure that that was there. Do you feel like you got an answer to a question you didn't know you had? Because that's how I felt when I reached this point in the book. I went, when, when all of this information surrounding like the objective of the grail and how specific it is that it means literally this one person. Yeah. I felt like a lot of stuff made sense, even though I hadn't learned a ton. It just felt like what I learned was so big that it contextualized everything. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that absolutely makes sense. I, between the idea of the Grail and also their involvement and in the God cover-up and everything like that, it's bringing a little bit more light to everything that we have going on here. Like it's kind of allowing this pivot in Jesse's journey of like, okay, we get the why did this happen now? On to where's God? What can Jesse learn from that? What is he going to do about it? Kind of thing. Mm. So I, I, I certainly like the I think the gravity of this episode maybe didn't hit me immediately after watching it. But upon the rewatch and upon talking about it, a lot happened here. And and I think it came at the right time. Sure. I think there are a lot of people, especially looking through some of the reactions in TV time, looking at people on Reddit that were pretty tired with things in the middle of the season. And I think episode 10 was right where we, we needed that injection of like, here's where we're headed. This is where we're going. Let's give it some momentum right now. I just hope that they find a way to continue that and, and carry it out for the rest of the season and into season three. Like I think, I think there's a middle ground somewhere between what we've seen this season that they need to strike and they haven't found it yet. Any other thoughts? All good. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on G2TPodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, and we're also in uh, TV Time. So check out those apps if you want to find us. We're G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preachers so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, and HBO's Westworld. Find out about those shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread and is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for the episode, this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word.